Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. You can find your seats. This morning we are in Psalm 146. You can turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 146. Psalms 146 through Psalms 150 close the entire book of Psalms by praising the Lord, the God of Israel. I was looking uh, online and realizing, I think it was about 2013, when we started our series in the book of Psalms. Now, we've taken some breaks along the way. There are five books of Psalms. Uh, We study each of the books, and then after each one of those books of the Psalms, we went into one of the Gospels. And so uh, we kind of broke it up a little bit over the last few years, quite a few years now. Uh, But here we are now, and we are coming to the end of this series of studies. And these five psalms close the entire book. In fact, Psalm 146 is the first of the five hallelujah psalms, which begin and end with the phrase in Hebrew, hallelujah, which means praise the Lord. It's the first of these five hallelujah psalms, and we're going to look at two of them this morning, and then we'll look at the final three next week. Now, in this psalm, we're encouraged to praise the Lord, and I think uh, you guys encouraged me today because as uh, we were praising the Lord in worship, uh, I was looking out and just seeing how much everyone just is enjoying singing praise to the Lord. I, I think our studies in the psalms have a lot to do with that. I also think that what contributes to our appreciation of praise in these days, in these dark days, is the fact that we've been limited many times over the last year in how much we can praise and how available we can be to praise in the way that we have been uh, praising on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings. But I was encouraged as I I saw you guys sort of just spontaneously applaud, and I I know that that's, that's just an expression of how blessed you are to be in God's presence and to praise him. So I really feel like we have prepared our hearts today as a congregation and as a church family to study these psalms by doing the most important thing of all, praising the Lord. As it says in Hebrew, hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you now looking, as always, to you in your word to speak to our hearts. Lord, we recognize that it is appropriate and necessary for us to praise you because when we praise you we know that we get a proper perspective on the world it it allows us to see you as creator and a sustainer of the universe it allows us to see you for who you really are and when we contrast the the world and the dark systems of evil against your goodness your greatness your mightiness your worthiness there is simply no comparison There is simply nothing we need to be concerned about because we know that you are God. And we praise you simply because you're God. But this morning as we study in your word, we're reminded of your great provision. We're reminded of how you provided for us and continue to provide for us and how you provide for every living thing. And so now we open our hearts to receive from you and we ask that you just draw us nearer to you, nearer and nearer each day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, it's so good to be here this morning. Sun is out, right? Looks like we might get some nice warm weather this week. I say warm like 40s. 
anything that'll melt all this snow. And as I was looking at these Psalms, and we'll see when we get to the next Psalm, it's like God ordained for us to be in these Psalms today. As we start Psalm 146, we read these words, praise the Lord, or hallelujah. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Not hard to interpret. The author is praising the Lord. He's determined to do so for his entire life. You know, as I was thinking about this this phrase this morning, as I was waking up, I I got up a little bit before the alarm went off, which is always nice. And uh, as I was thinking about the, the text today and realizing, you know, there have been times in my life where I have been more open to praising God. There have been times in my life where I have been more directed and centered on praising God. And there have been times in my life where I've been less, you know. There are times in our lives when we're really focused on who God is and how he provides. And we're so grateful and and filled with thanksgiving and praising God. And then there are other times where we just take those things for granted. There are times where we fail to praise the Lord. We're too caught up in the things that are not going right. The challenges, the difficulties, the darkness... And a lot of times we can become cynical or we can really, in many ways, become extremely negative. It's easy, isn't it? It's easy to become negative. Even on a good day, it's easy to become negative. But lately, if you give yourself over to negative thinking, negative thoughts, complaining, there's really no end to that, is there? It just keeps going and going and gets worse and worse and Before you know it, everything stinks. I've told this story before about the guy who got a little bit of Lindberger cheese stuck in his mustache. You know, he he got up in the morning and he said, it stinks in here. So he went into the next room and he took a deep breath and said, oh, it stinks in here too. Went into his living room. Ah, this whole house stinks. I'm going to go outside and get a breath of fresh air. Goes outside takes a really deep breath. Ah, the whole world stinks. And sometimes we get that Lindberger cheese stuck in our mustache. If you don't have a mustache, well, the analogy doesn't work. But the idea is this. The idea is that you can get so fixated on one or two things that the whole world in your mind stinks. And right now, I've had to give up a lot of news. I've had to give up a lot of things because I found that all it does is propel me toward negativity. So I'm a little less informed. I've been focused on the weather report, uh, the economy, and then I turn off the news as soon as it starts to go to Washington or anything political. I don't even want to know anymore. Seriously, that sounds terrible. But I'm just so tired of the negativity. After a while, the whole world stinks, and you know it doesn't stink. Not at all. I see this psalmist, he recognizes, you can sing praise to God as long as you live. That means the good days, the bad days, the difficult days, when things are dark, when things are wonderful. Get into a habit of praising the Lord regardless of the circumstances. And you'll find that far from the world stinking all the time, it'll actually be much more beautiful to you each and every time you look at the world through the eyes of faith. This is what the psalmist says right up front. I'm going to praise you all my life and as long as I live. Notice he goes on to say, and I think this is apropos, in verse 3, do not put your trust in princes, 
immortal men who cannot save, when their spirit departs, they return to the ground. And on that very day, their plans come to nothing. You see, that's the best that earthly, worldly leadership can provide. Even the best earthly, worldly leadership cannot provide what God provides for us. The author encourages the people of Israel not to put their trust in their earthly leaders. I've been saying for years now, put your trust in God. Pray for your leaders. But most of all, pray for God's will to be done on earth through our leaders. And when those leaders are wicked, and when those leaders promote ungodly things, as we see even now, don't pray for their success. Pray for God's will to be done on earth and for evil to be defeated. But recognize that your leaders are simply mortal men. They have no power to save. They can't do anything to save us. Only God can save us. Only God can provide for us. And he declares that their leaders will eventually die and leave their earthly plans behind. And that's the fate of all men. Now, the author goes on here to declare that those who put their trust in the Lord are blessed. We talked about this last week. Blessed means happy, extremely happy, filled with happiness. And I have no problem with wanting that in my life. He goes on to say, blessed, or oh, how happy is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord who remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind and lifts up those who are bowed down, that is, crippled. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien, or excuse me, the illegal immigrant, and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. You see, this is all about what God does for us. And if you look to the world to do these things, listen, the wickedness of the world would have you look to men and to world systems, to government, to government subsidies and systems to provide for you. God has never, ever in his word encouraged us to look to anyone but him to provide for us. Now, the book of Proverbs is filled with wisdom on how to take God's blessings and make the most of them by being responsible, working hard, being industrious. Uh, That's certainly true, and not just for men, but for ladies as well. Or have we forgotten Proverbs 31? You see, all of us are encouraged to be the kind of people that take the blessings of God and make the most of them. But not once in the scripture are we encouraged to be dependent on anyone but God. So many of us now in our culture today are looking for someone to do for us what only God can do for us. And that's kind of the problem, brothers and sisters. Listen, whether you're a conservative or whether you're liberal or whether you're progressive or a libertarian, whatever you are, you have to admit that if everyone within their own ability could take care of themselves to the degree that they took their lives, gave them to God and received God's blessings, it would be a better world. We call that responsibility, taking personal responsibility for our lives. But you can't take personal responsibility for your life and not give it to God. As a person of faith, that's the very first thing we do. Yes, I have responsibility for my life. What do I do with that responsibility? I give it to God. 
by putting my trust in him. And that's what the psalmist wants us to understand. We can praise God and put our trust in him. As we've read here, uh, we're blessed. We're blessed because we look to the Lord for help. We put our hope in him. You see, when, when you recognize that that's your responsibility to respond to his ability, once you recognize that truth, you can be happy because you can be at peace. You're not striving or worried all the time about everything because you can trust the Lord. Amen? I love in this psalm, in verse 6, he says, the Lord made heaven and earth. He made the sea and everything living in them. You know, the thing about that is he made all things, all life on earth. Now, because of that, I mean, that should put things in perspective. If he made all things, sustains all things, what exactly are you worried about? You worried about the market? You, You worried about the job market, the real estate market? Are you worried about evil men in Washington? Because I kind of think God's got that. I do. I'm really waiting for the hammer to fall. I mean, if it doesn't fall in my lifetime, eventually it will, because the Lord's going to return, and the enemies of God and his people are going to be destroyed by the brightness of his coming. So I know the hammer's going to fall eventually. I just need to be patient and continue to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we do that by faith. But recognize he made the heaven and the earth, the sea. Ever stop to think about the sea for a minute? I mean, the heaven and the earth, in today's day and age, most of the earth has been discovered. That is, most of it has been uh, looked into and people have explored it. I mean, people have gone to Antarctica and they've gone to the Arctic Circle. You know, 100 years ago, that wasn't the case. But now we see that we really know our world quite well. But wait a minute. The bottom of the sea has yet to be reached in many places. The Mariana Trench, for example. And when I look at these things, you watch one of those science shows, you watch this and you think there's so much life. There's life that they haven't even discovered yet at the bottom of the sea. And why do I say that? Because, you know, God is, is, is amazing and great and awesome and his creative Ability knows no bounds, and if we haven't even seen all that God has created on our planet, what in the world are you worried about exactly? I think it puts things in perspective. The psalmists oftentimes will say, he made the heaven and the earth. He made the ground that Washington is built on. You understand that? They're just squatters. This is God's plan. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, Amen. See, we need to put that perspective into our hearts and our minds. And the only acceptable response is praise. That's what happens when you see things properly. Have you ever gotten a really good pair of sunglasses? I remember back in, maybe it was the 80s or 90s, they had these sunglasses called blue blockers, I think they were called. And what was interesting about these sunglasses, it could be a really dark, miserable day, but you put these on and the whole world looked like it was sunlight. You could see everything really crisp. It changed everything. It was, it was a perspective, it, it just really quality sunglasses. I've never really spent the money on quality sunglasses, but I've tried them on. I think to myself, wow, these are, these are some, the whole world looks great. Now, I don't want to wear rose-colored glasses, but let me tell you this. When you look at the world through the perspective of God and his word, everything is great. It doesn't look great. It is great. Amen? Because God is great and God is good. And that we know to be true. So the psalmist is declaring that the Lord is forever faithful to care for the needs of the oppressed, 
and the hungry. Now, what's interesting is our sort of godless system, and I really don't believe it's genuine. I think it's a power grab, but our godless system oftentimes holds up the oppressed and the hungry, the poor and the needy, and uses this to rob us blind. And they take these these solutions to these problems that apparently have existed since the beginning of time, and, and they use them, but they don't ever fix the problem. Have you noticed the more money we spend, the worse things seem to get? Because when you're looking to government and not to God to solve some of these problems, you're looking in the wrong place. I mean, some of these noble aspirations of social justice that we can agree with, some we can't, some we can, have never accomplished anything. I mean, communism and socialism promised that everyone would be equal and all their needs would be met. Yeah, everyone's equally poor and needy in a system like that. It's never worked and it never will. And sadly, we're going to find out, I think, unfortunately, that it doesn't work again here in this country. Hopefully not, but who knows. You see, the Lord is forever faithful. Look to him to meet the needs of the oppressed and the hungry. Because as the psalmist says, he sets prisoners free. Nothing wrong with setting those prisoners free that need to be freed from those prisons they put themselves in. And there are many of us that do. But he sets prisoners free. Those that have been imprisoned unjustly or those that are in prisons that they've fashioned themselves can be set free through Jesus Christ. They can be given sight if they're blind. Now, there's there's two sides to this. There's the metaphorical and there's the literal. And I would say that there are a lot of people that are blind. And they're blind. They can't see the truth, even though their eyes work perfectly well. But here we're actually talking about those that have the in, uh, no ability to see. They're blind, literally blind, and God can heal them. You know, it's one of the things you see a lot in poorer nations and cultures because the eyes are particularly susceptible to infection, so is the mouth. Um, in countries where you don't get proper nutrition or hygiene, blindness loss, you know, gum disease, those types of things happen because that, that's an indication, an outward indication of inward lack of health. And so in the ancient world, there were many people that were blind. And it wasn't because they were born blind, although that happens sometimes. It was mostly because they caught some type of an infection. There was no way to treat it, and they went blind. Or their nutrition wasn't su- sufficient enough to keep them healthy, and they ended up, over time, uh, losing their sight. But we're told that the Lord can give sight to the blind. Or do you not believe that God can heal? You believe God can heal? Amen. So sometimes there are certain needs that are neglected because of our circumstances. God can provide our needs. And he heals the crippled. It says those that are bowed down. You know, sometimes that phrase bowed down in the scripture indicates someone who's heavy burdened or heavy laden and burdened. And that's true too. Like I said, there's a metaphorical interpretation here, but there's also a literal interpretation. You know, another thing, when you don't get the proper amount of calcium and nutrition in your body, your, your bones soften or they harden. Or, so you, you end up in a situation where you're crippled, you're hunched over. This, this happens to people in poorer nations. It happens here to people that don't take proper care of themselves. But notice what it says. It says here, he lifts up those who are bowed down. So whatever your needs are, the point is that God can meet them. Amen? That's the point. That's why he's saying these things. The Lord loves the righteous. 
who are, of course, righteous in him, not in themselves, as he says there in verse 8. The Lord loves the righteous. That doesn't mean you have to be righteous for God to love you. God loves you. But when we live right lives, the Lord loves it. It pleases him when we live according to his truth. And he gives us the power and the strength to live that way. And he sees us as righteous in Jesus Christ. You know, he protects foreigners and cares for the needs of orphans and widows. Again, many times social justice warriors will promote the needs of those in these categories, such as foreigners or orphans or widows, the most needy. And I'm fine with that. Let me say that I'm fine with that. The problem is the solutions aren't real because they don't solve the problems. They don't really solve the problems. I mean, anyone who knows anything about immigration knows that letting people come in here and live in sort of a second-class state is not good. It's not fair, it's not just, and it's not right. There are better ways to deal with these things. But we continue to hear about these things, and our government and we and our tax dollars have to pay for their needs. Yet, listen, God can meet the needs of all that come to him. Don't think that we can ever do that. We can't step in and take over for what only God can do. By the way, God may lay it upon your heart to meet the needs of others. And that's fine because then it's God doing the work through you. But a godless system will never instill godliness in the needy. And I really hesitate to support outreach programs that don't do it in the name of Jesus Christ. Because I I find it's useless. It really doesn't fix the problem. Yes, there are problems. Yes, they need to be fixed. And yes, we can be part of that solution. But God has to do that work. So we should open ourselves up to those works, but only if they're done in the name of Jesus Christ, because ultimately he's the only one that can meet their needs. Well, he goes on to say that the Lord prevents those that mistreat others from prospering in their wicked ways. And I want to claim that verse at the bottom of verse 9. It says he frustrates the ways of the wicked. You know, the wicked have been trying to do things for people and really just for a lot of different selfish reasons. And, and, and it ends in frustration. There's never a time where the wicked, godless systems of the world have ever succeeded in meeting anyone's needs. Really, It always backfires. Have you noticed that? Like, you raise the minimum wage, and then everyone... You know, by the way, the real minimum wage is zero. Which is what, what many people end up getting paid after they raise a minimum wage. You know, all these solutions sound so noble and so good. How can you, as a Christian, not support that? Because if God doesn't meet their needs, we can't. I'm not saying that we don't have a responsibility... I'm saying, though, that we need to come to God and look for him to meet our needs. When our nation turns to God, he brings prosperity to our nation, and the needs of those who are needy are met through the godly. It's a very different system, and so I encourage you, pray for the needs of the needy, but listen, if they don't come to Christ, they're wasting their time with these social programs. They're they're not going to meet their needs. They never do. Cycles of poverty. I've looked at some of the statistics over this last week. Since the 1960s, when they made a lot of these laws that were supposed to help people, since then, the unemployment rates have skyrocketed among ethnic minorities. What happened? The solutions weren't really solutions. They were empty promises. And the empty promises of government, godless government, will never measure up against the promises of a faithful God. 
And that's what the psalmist wants us to understand. It's God that does these things. And, I like this, he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Finally, in verse 10 of this psalm, the author declares, the Lord reigns forever. And he calls the people of Israel to praise him when he says, the Lord reigns forever, O God, O your God. Uh, the Lord reigns forever, your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. So we see right away, we're, we're called to look to God to meet our needs. Now, when we get to the next psalm, Psalm 147, it's very similar in the sense that we're still talking about praising God and still looking to God to meet our needs. But the theme of this psalm really comes down to God providing for us and continuing to provide for us and blessing his people. And it takes that theme a little bit further, and we read, In verse 1 of Psalm 147, Praise the Lord, how good it is to sing praises to our God. Amen? How pleasant and fitting to praise him. And it starts with that declaration of praise. See, praising the Lord is a good, sweet, and beautiful experience. That is good for you. Oh, God doesn't need your praise. He, He receives your praise you need to praise him. I need to praise him. We need to praise him. It puts us in the right perspective. It's like those sunglasses. You can see things how they really are, truly are. Now we read on in verses two through three, the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. See, it's God that does this. He blesses the city of Jerusalem. He blesses his people. And this psalmist declares the Lord builds up the city, returns those that were exiled from it, heals those with broken hearts and those with open wounds. See, I really wonder in my mind what would happen if our nation actually repented, cried out to God, and so, Lord, save us from sickness and pestilence. Save us from all of the ills of our society. But you see, it would require that repentance and confession in order to do that. And so while some might, not all will. And so God's work right now in our culture is bringing us to a place of repentance. It may need to get worse before it gets better, but I hope it does get better. But eventually it will because the Lord will come again. So here's what we know. The author goes on to declare that the Lord is almighty God. And that should be all the perspective you need to see things properly. Notice, giving us a perspective on God the Creator again. He determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. The Lord sustains the humble but casts the wicked to the ground. Again, you see that theme of God saving those that cry out to him in humility and repentance and the wicked being cast to the ground. See, God resists the proud, but he exalts the humble. The wicked, he has no choice but to reject. The righteous, those that cry out to him, are received and made whole. This is the message of the gospel, that in Jesus Christ we can come to God and receive forgiveness of sins and restoration of our souls and be in the presence of the Lord for all eternity. Any solution that doesn't have that at its center is False hope. You understand? It's false hope. It's false hope. So what we read here tells us that the Lord created the stars in the heavens and he knows 
each and every one of them. Now, I enjoy looking at stargazing apps. I enjoy looking at the heavens. There's just so many stars. And unfortunately, in our area, because of the light pollution, it's very difficult to see more than just a few stars. It's actually very few when you compare uh, to maybe a more rural area with less light. You can see quite a few. In fact, I have a little app, and when I, when I adjust the light pollution uh, for what it, what it is in certain areas, I recognize it must be an incredible sight to see. But sadly, we can't see all that many stars in our area. But God knows each and every one of them. Created them all, knows them all by name. You know, there are billions of stars in just our own Milky Way galaxy. Billions. It's been estimated that there may be 10 to the 25th power stars in the known universe, but no one really knows. God knows. You feel small yet? You shouldn't because God loves you despite all of that vastness of creation. That's pretty incredible, pretty impressive. He declares the Lord is all-powerful and all-knowing. Did you see that in verse 5? Great is our God and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. That means God knows all things. There is no limit to his knowledge, his understanding, or his wisdom. And he declares that the Lord provides for those who are humble, but he rejects those who are wicked. So now we get to verses 7 through 9, the Largest part of this psalm, really. <clears throat> uh, we want to look at this. There's, there's some wonderful symbolism that I, I want to draw out this morning. But in verses 7 through 9, the author calls the people of Israel to praise the Lord for providing for their needs. Now, you may be thinking, oh, I still have needs. You know, you're built by God to have needs. <clears throat> Did you realize that? You need to breathe. You need to eat. You need to drink. You need to love. You need to express yourself. You need to be loved. God designed you with needs. You know, when, when you get a little bit older uh, and, and you look at your home, you start to think, I want to live in a home with very little maintenance. You, you strive for like whatever it takes to live in a home that doesn't require you out there with the snowblower or the leaf blower the lawnmower. I've heard stories of some retirees digging up their lawn and putting down little white stones. And the kids in the neighborhood come and pick them up. But anything we can do, you know, we, we, we get those, uh, the siding that doesn't require any maintenance. We do our best to make the house as easy to take care of as possible. And then when you really can't take it, you move into one of those gated communities where they do everything for you. It seems in our culture that the goal is to put ourselves in a place where we have no needs. I'm going to be financially independent so that when I retire, I have no needs. You see, God never really designed us that way. Do you know that? He designed you with needs so that you can take those needs and bring them to God. So you can be dependent on him, not independent of him. And the problem with us in our society today primarily is that we are fighting the fact that we are called to be dependent upon God. And our independence takes the form of rebellion when we think that we can take better care of ourselves than God can. See, that's what it means to be a person of faith. So what we understand is that God is the one that provides for our needs. Now look what he says in verse 7. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make music to our God on the harp. He covers the sky with clouds. 
He supplies the earth with rain, makes grass grow on the hills. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. That's very interesting because I took the time to look into this a little bit. First of all, he's calling them to sing psalms, play it on the harp, and to give thanks to the Lord. Of course. Of course. And I always make the argument for stringed instruments being particularly good for praise. Because the psalms are exactly that. Praise songs to be sung to stringed instruments and their accompaniment. But then he goes on to declare that the Lord provides the rain that causes the grass to grow. Provides grass as food for the uh, cattle. And then he provides for the ravens when they call out in hunger. Now you may not be thinking this all the way through, but he provides the rain, which brings the grass. The grass, which feeds the cattle. And then the cattle die, and they provide food for the ravens. You see, the thing is, ravens, the Bible has a lot to say about ravens. The Lord provides ravens with the carcasses of the cattle when they die. Ravens feed on dead things. And because sin entered the world, there's a lot of dead things in our world. You know, ravens are frequently mentioned throughout Scripture. You know, they're the first bird specifically mentioned in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 8, verse 7. You know, they're forbidden as food under the Mosaic law. They feed on carrion. They're, they eat dead things. They attack their prey also by picking out their eyes and hoping they'll die, and then, then they eat them. I find it interesting that Jesus used ravens to illustrate the Lord's provision and care for us. Maybe you remember, in Luke's Gospel in chapter 12, in verse 22, we read this, Luke 12, 22. Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life or what you will eat or about your body what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? See, you should be praising, not worrying. The world is riddled with anxiety over a million different things. And it doesn't help, and it doesn't change things. Consider the ravens. So that's what we're going to do for just a few minutes this morning. We're going to consider the ravens. You know, ravens were well known throughout the ancient cultures. The Hebrew, Oreb, and the Arabic, Gurab, are from roots that mean to be black. Well, sometimes we'll say of someone, oh, she has raven hair. She's dark hair. So that's not a surprise. But you know, the Arabic root also has the idea of leaving home. And for this reason, there was an evil omen attached to this bird. When you'd see a raven, many times the ancient cultures would interpret it as a sign of death or someone leaving their, their family. It was considered an omen. This was just superstition. And of course, Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven is an example of that thinking. But if you really consider the raven, you'll realize there's a higher message, 
a better message than, quote, the raven nevermore. There's a better message, and it's one Jesus would have us to consider today. You know, in the Greek, the word is korax. It's from the root that means to be satisfied with enough food. Yeah. The Greeks looked at it differently. They, they looked at the raven as someone who always had enough to eat. But of course, there's so much death in the world that the raven always has a full plate. God provides for the raven. Consider the raven. And the Greeks recognized it means to be satisfied with enough. And what I find interesting is in 1 Kings chapter 17, the Lord actually used ravens to provide food for Elijah the prophet when Israel was experiencing a famine. See, every idea in the scripture of the raven is associated with God's provision, and not just enough, but all that we need. So when Jesus says, consider the raven, don't think about some dead deer on the side of the road, although that's what they eat. Don't don't think about some weird poem written by a guy from Baltimore. Don't think about the, the, the omen of some terrible thing is about to happen. But according to Jesus' words, consider the raven. That he's completely satisfied with food. He never ever worries about where his meal is coming from. As long as there's sin and death in the world, he's got something to eat. But how that relates to us is simple. Like Elijah, even in the famine, in, in the worst of times, Consider the raven and know that God will always provide for your needs. Amen? Well, the author goes on to declare that the Lord is pleased when men put their trust in him. Verses 10 and 11. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. By the way, it was always better to travel on, uh, I'm sorry, I jumped it. That's what happens when your bookmark moves. Verses 10 and 11. His pleasure is not in the horse, or excuse me, his pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of a man. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in His unfailing love. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse. Now, what what is that all about, or the legs of a man? You know, when you put your trust in something other than God, you will never, ever receive all God has for you. It's just that simple. He wants you to trust him. The Lord's not pleased when men trust in their horses or in their own strength. When you trust in your horse, it's, it's a way of saying you trust in your army, you trust in your strength, you trust in your ability to take care of yourself and protect yourself in your own strength. I like what it says there. It says, uh, delight in the legs of a man. The idea, you know, your strength, this is true in martial arts, your strength comes from your legs. It's where your strength comes from. But you don't want to trust in your own strength. The horse gives you greater strength on the battlefield. It is very hard to beat someone in cavalry, someone on horseback. But don't trust in those things. That's what the author would have us to know. Don't trust in those things. 
The Lord delights in those that fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. I don't think there could be a more clear message this morning. The Lord delights in those that respect and obey him and who trust in him. Then the author goes on to call the people of Israel to praise the Lord for protecting the city of Jerusalem, that is his people. In verse 12, extol the Lord, O Jerusalem, praise your God, O Zion, for he strengthens the bars of your gates and blesses your people within you. He grants peace to your borders and satisfies you with the finest of wheat. God provides for all of our needs. That's the point. That's why we praise him. One of the many reasons we praise him. See, here he declares that the Lord fortifies the city, blesses those that live within it. That is, he protects us. And he gives them peace with their neighbors and provides them with wheat, which is what they need to eat. By now you should see that there's two ways to live your life, independent of God or dependent upon God. And it pleases God when we depend upon him because he provides for our needs and we don't have to go without. They praise the Lord for protecting their city. We can praise the Lord for protecting our city, our home, our family, even our nation. We can praise God for protecting us as we put our hope in him. No one's ever been disappointed that's put their trust in God. Not one person that ever lived has ever been disappointed, come up and said, you know, in one of those Amazon reviews, half a star. You know, God really disappointed me. I really had higher expectations of him. So I'm giving him half a star. No one ever, ever, ever came away disappointed when they put their trust in God. Amen? No one. Even the difficulties are working for you. All things are working together for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. So what are you worried about? Consider the ravens. He provides us with all we need. Then the author goes on to declare that the Lord is sovereign over the earth and its climate. (gasps) Yeah. Even the climate, the existential crisis of our age is in God's hands. You know what? The wicked people of the world never fail to make a crisis out of everything. And everything's an existential crisis. Why? Wake up. Crisis means people get power and money. Lots of it. Looks like global warming didn't work out too well in Texas this week. Poor people of the South found out what happens when you rely on means of energy that are unreliable. These poor people were freezing, some freezing to death. You know, their homes aren't built for this. I was speaking with Matt Johnson. I said, do you even have a furnace? He lives in Alabama and Mobile. No. No. Imagine what it would have been like to live this last week alone in your home without a furnace or a burner, something to keep you warm. They had to use like portable heaters if you could find one. And they have these little mild heating systems that are designed on a, a little chilly night to warm up the house. But, you know, it's very expensive to heat your home with electricity, right? And then the electricity wasn't even available at that. Listen, I, 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 I'm not trying to preach a political message. I'm just trying to warn you that only God can meet our needs. And if you're looking to the... <laughs> The world to solve an existential crisis? They can't even have a free and fair election in this country. You're looking to these people to solve the world's problems? 
Look someplace else. Look only to God. And by the way, if there really is a problem, my Bible tells me the whole thing is going to burn one day by God's command anyway. See, I trust God with the climate too. The hubris of man, the, the, the pride and the arrogance of man that he thinks that he can control the climate more than God who runs the universe. How silly. See, that's what happens when you're trying to live independent of God. You have no other place to go. You have to try to solve all the world's problems yourself, and you can't. Or had we not already read, he frustrates the ways of the wicked back in Psalm 146. Listen, whether the earth is heating up or cooling down is relatively unimportant to me because God controls the climate. So if it warms up, it warms up. If it cools down, it cools down. Things change, you know? When has the earth ever just been the same every day? No, of course it's not. And what I learn here in verses 15 through 18 is very telling. He sends his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He spreads the snow like wool and scatters the frost like ashes. He hurls down his hail like pebbles. Who can withstand his icy blast? He sends his word and melts them. Oh, praise God. He stirs up his breezes and the waters flow. The point of this, and it's very interesting given the week we've had, the last couple of weeks here, but the point is God's in control of that. Can you trust him with the climate? If you can't trust God with the climate, man, you're going to be like a wreck. We only have a few more years to live. It's almost too late. Send us billions of dollars to do what exactly? How foolish we are to look to anything or anyone other than God. So silly. He declares the Lord is sovereign over the earth and its climate. He declares the Lord provides the snow and the frost, the hail and the icy wind. I I might not always like it, but it's God that brings those things into our world. He controls the climate. He also brings, praise God, the warm weather to melt the snow and the ice. I pray that's a prophecy this week. To provide clean water, because if we don't get the snow and the ice and the rain, then we don't have water, and if we don't have water, we don't live. When are we going to trust God with all things? That doesn't give an excuse to pollute our environment. That doesn't give us an excuse to be stupid. I'm not saying that, but don't think for a minute that you and I, that we, that all of us can come together, hold hands across the globe, and somehow take God's job from him. It's just not going to happen. And he doesn't need anyone to fill in. And so we close this with the author declaring that the Lord has only revealed his word to Israel that is the people of God and calls them to praise him. You see, the problem is what we're trying to explain here this morning can only be explained to a person of faith who trusts in the living God. You try to explain and say the things that I've just said right now, people will think you're like a Neanderthal, that that you might as well be going to a witch doctor. You're living in a bygone era where we, you know, did rain dances and things of that nature. They, They can't even imagine that God exists and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. But we know better. Then why are we acting like them? Why why are we thinking like the world? Well, because we've forgotten the truth of God's word. Notice it says in verse 19, He has revealed his word to Jacob, his laws and decrees to Israel. He has done this for no other nation. That is, no other group of people than God's people have received his word. 
They do not know his laws. Therein lies the problem. But we end with praise the Lord. So what's the answer for us? Well, people need to know God's word. See, the churches need to be preaching, and that's part of the problem. That's how we got here. The churches stopped doing that for the most part. Preaching God's word helps people to realize the truth of the universe and who they can rely on and trust in. But see, we've, we've allowed that to be taken out of our society, and so now our world is looking to something other than God, and huh, people are freaking out. Drug abuse, substance abuse through the roof, suicide rates through the roof. How's that working out for us? How's that working out for us? Looking to something other than God. It's not, and it never will. So what's the answer for the world today? The same answer it's always been. Jesus is the answer. You know, we have to preach that message. And don't let the world shut you up and silence you and shut you down. Because you're the only hope, or you have the only hope that you can offer to them, and the only hope there is available to them. That is the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's ask the worship team to come up. This is the truth of the gospel, that Jesus came, died on a cross for our sins. So we can repent of our sins, put our trust in the cross of Jesus Christ, knowing that we have sins, confessing that we are sinners, and Jesus Christ's death pays the price and the penalty of our sins, and the fact that he rose again on the third day is the promise of new life for each and every one of us who put our faith in him. Amen? We know he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. Amen? That's our hope. That's our hope. Oh, the world would have you freaking out so that you can give all your hope and trust to them. Don't do it, brothers and sisters. Don't do it. Don't look to anyone other than God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, your encouragement. It's always so relevant. Reminding us in dark days that we have no other hope but you. May we put our trust and our faith in you and you alone. That we might be blessed. Oh, how happy. Free from anxiety and concern and worry. Because we know that we can trust in you. We know that you will provide for us. And the next time we see a raven or even a black crow, may we stop a moment and recognize that you told us to consider them and we're so much better than them, so much more precious to you, and that you'll meet all of our needs. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.